Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and today we have on uh, Marioch Skonechne. Is that, did I say it correctly? Close. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was um, okay. Good, good. There's there's a few guests I've had on where it's like, okay, I cross my fingers that I hope I pronounce their their name correctly. Wonderful. Uh, how's your day going? Oh, it's very good. How about you? Pretty good. Um, just um, yeah, it's it's been it's been going okay. Um, so tell tell us um where so where are you calling from? Um, well, I live in Indiana. You live in Indiana, uh, so like the clo- the closest. The closest city, or uh, you know, University of Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, south, south. So you're near Bend, South Bend, yeah, right? Are right. you Are you in South Bend, or, or just kind of right outside of it? No, I'm. Uh, it's a city called Mishawaka. Okay. So it's right next to it. Got it. Got it. Cool. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what your what your background is, because and, and I know you have uh, your own stuff that you post on YouTube, which is pretty interesting. So tell the listeners a little bit about you know who you are. Right. So, uh, you know, I, um, I graduated college in 2004 and no, 2003. And, um, at first I was, I entered the real estate industry. I was a real estate appraiser, uh, both on the residential and commercial side. And while I was working for a, a commercial real estate brokerage company in 2008, when the whole thing was falling apart, right. Uh, I, and at the time, I was already interested in stocks. Uh, so I pretty much went to my boss and I said, in December of 2008, I'm quitting. What are you going to do? I'm starting Classic Value Investors. And literally, December 31st, 2008 was my last day. And January 1st, 2009 was my first day, you know, running Classic Value Investors. And, you know, and ever since, that's what I've been doing, just uh, recently, I launched a new project uh, called Microcap Explosions. What's and that? I released it. So, Microcap Explosions is a is a private membership website where okay. I share my research to uh, microcap and small cap companies that served me very well over the last ten years. And literally, I just launched it on Friday, so it's oh, wow. crazy. Congrats! That we're actually, talking right now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Wow. Now, do you typically specialize in, in smaller businesses when you're when you're looking at businesses? Well, I feel like a smaller businesses is where I can get my edge. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like I can add anything to Apple or Microsoft. Uh, everybody's looking at it. But uh, the investment industry is uh, very much focused on ignoring the small cap space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I go in, it's it's first of all, it's easier to understand these businesses. It's easier to uh, get a hold of the management. Uh, and it's easier to do, uh, you know, proper research like Scuttlebutt and get some insights, um, you know, when everybody is not even – they're not even in the radar screen. Right. Huh. Now, you do um, – I've, I've watched some of your YouTube videos, um, and I've, you know, seen you pretty active on Twitter, which, you know, I'm like, okay, this guy's interesting. i got to get him on my show. Now, you've done a lot of work and a lot of talking about uh, the tanker stocks. It seems like you know a thing or two about – that industry. Um, tell us about where you 
just kind of how you see that industry in terms of you know today because i know this has sort of been an ongoing sega for you well i think that the the tanker stocks are just like the recovery stocks right uh during this COVID situation um people have been focusing on which companies are benefiting from this COVID disaster so then you have um, you know, Tesla, no, not Tesla, uh, Netflix and Zoom and companies like this, Amazon, yeah. everybody has been piling into these names. And I mean, not that they were already reasonably priced before that, but now they are, you know, in the moon. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're looking at, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what happens when we actually get some positive news on you know, recovery or some kind of vaccine or some kind of uh, treatment that will people feel comfortable uh, returning to more a normalized life, uh, people are going to start thinking, where should I be positioned? And that's going to be names like the tankers, uh, airlines. Um, and I'm not invested in airlines. I'm mostly, uh, when it comes to the recovery stocks, I'm in tankers. But just in general, you know, uh, people are going to probably... Uh, flood into these recovery names uh, and you know i'm always thinking to myself okay so if if you thought it was a good idea to pay you know whatever multiple times hope for amazon or (laughs) zoom or whatever who the hell are you going to sell your stocks to when the recovery starts coming right multiple times hope i love that express Did, did you make that up or did you take that from somewhere no, I made that up. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you – I actually want to press into a little bit on the tanker stuff, which pardon me if you're sick of talking about this because I feel like half the videos you make are, are on this industry, and, and we'll put links well, in the show notes. No, and, no, you know, okay. I'm not sick on talking about it because you know it's funny. I mean tankers <laughs> are not my biggest position, but everybody wants to talk about it. So, well, it's fasc- so that's it is fine. fascinating. It. it is fascinating. fascinating yeah. Right? I, mean, I don't think, you know, I, I started my YouTube channel during this call. Well, I had a YouTube channel, but okay. it wasn't really active at all. I think I had like 40 subscribers, okay? And then the COVID hit. Huh. I'm bored. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so then I start talking on YouTube and I start talking about these tanker stocks. And all of a sudden, my subscriber gate uh, goes, you know, to like almost 3,000 because of these freaking tankers, really. <laughs> so that it's like, yeah, thank you very much for the tankers. If it wasn't for anything but that you know it made me a little popular <laughs> i love it i love it and and you've had um you've had the ceo of scorpio on there too right yeah yeah i love that guy he's uh, <laughs> uh you know everyone seems to be complaining about him because uh he likes to buy call options yeah and, uh, but i i like the guy well isn't you know? the big complaint that he might just be doing it to like pump up the stock and then if he gets rid of them he doesn't have to disclose that wasn't that the big the big you know, upset who, with who that. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like who the hell cares? It's like he buys the freaking call options. Okay. Gives you a signal, right? right? So, so, I mean, are we all such babies that he has to give you a buy signal and a sell signal? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I. Well, you know, the, this is probably something I shouldn't say on my show because I'm going to piss off a lot of probably people listening right now. But yeah, a, a lot of people in this industry are are kind of babies. Like that, that there, 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 there is some truth to that. Um, so yeah, you know what? If someone's going to be whiny and like a little bitchy and, 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 and they're like, Oh, he's not going to tell us when he sells. Then 
then like why are you in the market, right? Like why? You no, know, when you when you talk about the tanker stocks, for yeah. example, uh, and and I read this fantastic book, the the shipping man, and huh. you okay. know the the industry in general, like you know Greeks are very much into it, right? And and so they pride themselves be, with being the shipping man, being macho, having big balls, and all that. And and he, and here we have these hedge fund managers that are investing in these things, and they're like little babies. Yeah. Like, look, you're investing in the shipping stock. You're not investing in in you know in Microsoft. It's like if you don't have the balls to handle any volatility or any negativity like this, you know, get out. You know, and I always go say, be a traditional like, financial advisor to bank. Right, you know, they—it's like these hedge fund managers don't know anything about running a business. They—they they know how to open a spreadsheet and run a yeah. bunch of numbers on Excel, and they tell others how to run businesses. You know, and I've seen this in like the mining sector. Yeah, it's like these hedge fund managers think that they know anything. They don't know shit. You know, it's like all they know is just how to—they get an MBA think that there's they're smartest people in the world and they tell people who actually run real businesses what to do it's it's ridiculous you know it's funny i was just on the phone about an hour ago and i, I almost wish he was on the show with us right now because it would be hilarious and he is um he has a background in the uh coaching world and agile coaching and i brought him to omaha uh last you know, not not obviously this year, but the year before that for the first time. And he didn't really, you know, he was pretty fascinated by our world and the value investing world and all this. But then he just thought it was kind of funny, too, how some of these hedge fund managers he would meet and they would talk about, like, business stuff. And he's like, dude, I've been working for, like, you know, PayPal and Google and eBay and LinkedIn. I work for the B- VPs with LinkedIn. And you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, so it's it's really true that you have a lot of these people, they can read a spreadsheet until they're blue in the face. But when it comes to actually understanding you know, more nuances like operations and corporate culture and organizational development, they have no idea what they're talking about. So exactly. to- totally true. So um, with something like the shipping industry, how did you even get into it? I mean, I, it's, it is a notoriously horribly run industry, you know, historically. So what, what had you even take a look at it? You know, what, how did that all come about? Well, I mean, it, it's really the COVID situation, right? Yeah. How, uh, it impacted the demand, and and uh, they were they were originally benefiting from uh, from from the situation because the storage was being built up, and I think a lot of people went into these names because of that. But what what they went wrong is that they didn't study the industry, uh, and so even though. I learned about the industry because of the COVID. I mean, it literally took me like nonstop of three weeks trying to study the history of the industry of these companies and how they work. And that made me comfortable uh, with entering these positions. And I knew that the COVID situation was good. They made a lot of money, but it was just an icing on the cake. Right. So where do you, where do you see things going forward uh, with these tanker investments? I mean, are these things where you know you would sell them if they ever got to NAV, or are, are, you, are these long term positions for you? Do you think there's actual industry changes, or do you think generally there's still pretty terrible businesses that just might have some temporary undervaluation? Well, what you have with these is uh, you're going to have uh, this recovery, right? And uh, the the tanker industry in general, yes, you're right. It's a it's a really um, bad business. It's a commodity business. They don't have any pricing power. So 
uh, they go through cycles. And uh, from uh, 2003 to 2008, the industry went through a super cycle. They, they were making a lot of money because prior to that, there were some regulatory changes and there were some shortages of tankers. And so the, the rates on these uh, tankers, uh, what they charge per day, went very high. So from 2003 to 2008, they made a ton of money and some of these stocks like Frontline went up 40x during that time. But because uh, they made so much money, uh, they over, uh, ordered too many ships during that time. And, and that created a, a very long 10-year bear market. So from 2009 to literally 2019, they were in a bear market. And the industry started to turn again in 2019 simply because uh, older ships got old. They they were they got taken out of the fleet. There were new and uh, there was not much new ordering at that time because of the bear market. And they were just entering the new new um, new up uh, or boom or super cycle, whatever you want to call it. The rates started to go up, and that was in 2019. So uh, these stock prices starting started to go up, and then boom, COVID came, yeah. and they sold off really hard and now they are just the most hated out of all the entire airlines are more loved than than tankers i think that's probably uh, true right and yeah. so i i the way i see it is that okay if we get some kind of good news on the recovery these stocks are probably going to double just on that and then the story or the thesis will be oh we are we are recovering oh you know what the super cycle is still coming so let's let's bid them up again so i see that they have you know they could double triple quadruple from here just on on the um you know a story changing yeah now are there are there certain shipping companies that you like more than others because i know there are different kinds of classes of shipping businesses that you can get very detailed on the the different kinds of ships so there are certain businesses that you think are best to take advantage of the recovery I never invest in baskets, mm -hmm. never. But when it comes to the shipping, I do have a basket because like you said, they're all a little different. Some of them focus on uh, transporting crude. Some of them focus on transporting uh, product, which is like gasoline. Yeah. And some of them have uh, fleets that are a combination of both. It's just really hard to, to say who's going to be the winner so it's just like, eh, let me just get these five and just, you know, uh, not worry too much about um, exactly which one is going to benefit the most. And then what, when, what would be a price point uh, where you would sell these? I would say, you know, probably if they go up three to four times and then a lot of people are talking about them again, loving them again, then I'll probably just sell it to the lovers. And with and with shipping, that's typically a good idea. Uh, I guess with with anything, you know, yeah. like right now, what you know, everybody's talking about gold, right? Uh, I would probably be looking at selling it to the people who are so happy to own it. Right. Yeah. Well, I would say with with commodities, it's typically a good idea. I mean, if you have a wonderful company, that's generally like Costco has been well loved for many decades. But while it's been well loved, it's also been a pretty good investment. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So now you, you you with the good companies you can hold them for, you know, 20 years and you'll do fine, you know. 
Yeah, and I, and I would even say the lo- the longer you go out, even if there's that you know temporary, you know what might seem on the surface overvaluation, you know, and I mean unless it's like grossly overvalued, but I mean even even a little bit overvalued, if you're holding things for decades, you'll 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 still do pretty well if, if the the company still turns out turns out well as well. I mean Charlie Munger talks about this quite a bit. Uh, yeah, and I think this is where I think all of us value investors. Yeah, we like to buy cheap stuff, cheap stuff, and and we feel good about owning cheap stuff. But really, to make the 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 most money, you have to be comfortable with holding stuff that that's overvalued at, at times. If you yeah. really want to hold it for a long time, I mean, look at, uh, I mean, let's say Jeff Jeff Bezos for example. I mean, mm-hmm. he's done su- superbly with Amazon, right? Do yeah. you think he's worried about it being overvalued? He doesn't I mean, give a he doesn't give a shit. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that you know I would be buying Amazon. I'm just saying that you have these very successful individuals, whether it's Jeff Bezos or or even, um, um, gosh, what's this guy's name from Tesla? What's his name? Uh, Elon Musk. Elon, right? So again, it, it, like I, I I get all this about Tesla, but like he held it from the beginning. He holds it. He doesn't care, and and you know that made him a billionaire. And and we sit in front of spreadsheets and be like, oh, it has to be, uh, you know, below uh, twelve times PE, or I'm selling, or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it's when you when you can break out of just being purely analytical on a spreadsheet and start seeing the nuances of reality and how life works. I mean. You can you can you can mock Elon Musk for you know maybe there's certain ways that he does things that you don't like or you know he's done some things that clearly have maybe not been the most ethical or or just pushed the boundaries but the guy's brilliant the guy has built a fuck ton of value and the guy's a billionaire so you don't have a right to complain like no it, I, I, it, I, yeah, I, I respect I yeah. respect Elon Musk. He I mean he's a he's a visionary and and you know what I like about him that he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like about that, but I wouldn't buy Tesla not no, because of him. I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't yeah. buy Yeah, I wouldn't buy Tesla because of the people that the the, the 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 religious nuts that are following this this company are bidding it up to the moon. That's why I wouldn't buy it. Yeah. But, you know, if, if for 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 the right price and I don't know what the right price is. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a look at it, but as far as the man is concerned, I, yeah, I, I hear all the negatives, but at the end of the day, uh, he did change the world, right? Yeah. And he deserves credit for that. Yeah, and he also deserves credit. So this is something that isn't often talked about, where he deserves credit for the fact that, you know, especially I think people in our world, you know, our community in the Valley Investing community, we sometimes will. Um, and for good reason, have a negative connotation for people that are a little overly promotional or, you know, talking about things and being a little salesy. But with a guy like Elon Musk, and especially for a company like Tesla, if he wasn't promotional and he wasn't sharing the story and the vision, well, the equity wouldn't be bid up as much. They couldn't then sell as much stock as they would. I mean, it would have this whole effect where they're able to sell stock and they're able to sell, you know, debt into the market and, and actually get financing pretty cheaply. Uh, being a public company where if people really weren't bought into the story they may not even be around today i think as a ceo that's his job yeah you're that's you're a public you're a, a pub- you're a public company so if you can sell pricey stock to get capital that's what if you don't want to do that then why be a public company in the first place that's right yeah so let's talk about um so it's interesting that shipping is not your biggest position if what is your biggest what is actually what uh what you're most invested in right now 
Oroco. Oroco is my biggest position. Oroco Resources. It's six times as large as all the shipping companies together. Now, this is the play on electrification, correct? Uh, well, the, the whole the whole trend is okay. that um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a copper play. So, so yeah, let's, let's start, yeah. So tell us about this. Right. So, okay. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt that in the future uh, the, the cars are going to be electric, right? I, I, I mean, that it's going that direction. It's a matter of time. And also, uh, as as we have more people around the globe. Uh, becoming uh, wealthier and nations becoming more developed, uh, d- they will consume more copper. Yeah, and uh, and uh, copper. Uh, if you look at, for example, oil mm-hmm. and the supply of oil, the supply of oil comes from I I don't remember what what it is, but maybe like five thousand individual oil wells supply the whole world. Okay, okay. and when it comes to copper. About half of the copper supply comes from only 25 mines. Yeah. That's it. And those 25 mines have been in operations for many, many years. And you can consider them grandmas and grandpas. Okay. Uh, And so if we want to get electrification, if we want to bring more people out of poverty, we need more copper. Yeah. And there isn't a lot of copper at these prices. Uh, and over the last 10 years, we didn't find really any major deposits that could close that gap. Uh, so Oracle is a is a company that owns a copper deposit. It's called Santa Tomas. And Santa Tomas has been in a legal battle for the past 28 years. Uh, past 20 years. It was... It was... Uh, it's a huge copper deposit. It it's already is a huge copper deposit, but it was uh, taken off of the public market 20 years ago because there were there was a fight over the title, and it took literally 20 years to get this cleared up, and the legals were 100 100 percent resolved a week before COVID hit. Uh, so this. And by the way, I started talking about um, Oracle when it was trading at four cents. Now it's seventy cents. So I've been like the first one that started to talk about it, and it's still another five or ten beggar left. Because when I first discovered it, I just could not believe it because yeah. I studied all the legals. I was buying legal documents directly from the courthouse on a literally daily basis, and I was actually informing the company how the how the legals were going in in Arizona. Arizona was one of the uh, jurisdictions, and there were three different jurisdictions, but because I speak English, I could only get uh, documents from Arizona. I was buying the documents from the courthouse. I was talking to the the judge. I I mean, I knew exactly what was going on with the legals. I knew they were gonna resolve the legals. Um, And and of course, they resolved that. So the stock is now, you know, 20X, but now, that it's coming back on the public market. It's a huge, it's a huge copper deposit that has been drilled out and uh, over, over, you know, 30 years ago. But because it was 30 years ago, new regulation was introduced into the mining space. Like, for example, there was Briex scandal in the late 90s, where um, 
this geologist uh, pretty much um, fabricated, uh, added gold, sparkled some gold into the uh, the samples so that the results would come out better. They made they and, made a movie about that, right? Was that right, the one right. they made? A, yeah, With yeah. The Matthew McConaughey. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that that uh, fraud that was a lot of people lost so much money. That fraud uh, created what's called the forty three one hundred one standard. And and because of that standard, uh, the drill results or the uh, drill data uh, on Santa Tomas is out of date. And be, before this standard, uh, Santa Tomas had feasibility study, had everything up to date. And so if you take all those studies from back then and you update them with the current numbers, the net present value is like $1.6 billion. And... This, the company is trading for like 100 million. Huh. Uh, so what the, what they have to do now is we already know that the deposit is huge. It's you know it's been drilled out. We already know copper is there. Yeah. But what they have to do is uh, confirm some of the data because you know it's historical and they have to update those reports to the current 43101 standards. And then then this whole deposit will be taken seriously. Then then you can have uh, major mining companies looking at it and acquiring it, uh, because right now uh, there there are no core samples. That, uh, so, you know, mining companies are not in the business of speculating. They are in the business of, uh, you know, having a deposit that has all the great data together, everything looking good. So, that's where the next steps are for for Oracle to bring it to that level. Mm. No, how did, how did That's you, my biggest position. How did you find this business? Okay, so that was interesting because I was in the mining uh, stocks, uh, you know, years ago. And Oracle and another mining company uh, made a deal. In other words, Oracle had a different deposit and it sold it to, let's call it company, company X. Okay. okay. And I owned the company X at that time. And so I looked at that transaction, and at that time, Oracle received more money for selling that property than the entire market cap was worth at that time. Uh, but I looked at it, and I, I, at that time, I had a newsletter, and I wrote about it, but I didn't invest in it. But what, what was interesting about these two companies is that they made that transaction, but they knew each other. They knew each other so much that they actually shared office space. And it's common in like Vancouver for to save money, they have the same office space, right? Mm -hmm. So because I owned this company uh, X, I would call Oracle every month or so to get some scuttlebutt. And I said, hey, you know, is there anything going on with this company X? So every month. And I established a relationship with Oracle. And then at one, at one point, uh, I saw the CEO of Oracle bu buying a lot of shares, and and I did some digging. I did some Google research, and I found this website uh, because in the past they were talking about that they are working on this legal situation, this copper deposit. They didn't tell me the name or anything, but it was just kind of in the conversation, that they're working on something. So when the CEO started buying shares, I Googled some names, uh, Copper, Oracle, and then I found this website. 
uh, Santa Thomas Copper Project, and it had literally all of the legal documents on the freaking website. <laughs> and I called and I said, what is going on? Are you guys in, in some way connected to this? And, you know, he confirmed it. And then I studied the legals and I studied the project and I just couldn't believe it because at that time I was like, this project is worth a billion dollars and no one is talking about it. And their market cap at that point had $3 million. And I said, to wow. you, I, I called him up. I said, do you realize that, that your company is a hundred beggar from here? And, and that's kind of like how I got involved. And, and then well, what was their, what was their response to that? Well, I mean, they they obviously you know knew the situation, yeah. but at that at that po- at that point it was not. I mean, it was kind of secretive in a way because yes, there was a website uh, talking about the project, and there was on the website there was um, an entity entity that was tied to Oracle, but it didn't say Oracle. It said Sachipala Gold owns this, but it didn't say that Oracle owns Sachipala Gold. So you kind of had to know that Oracle's entity, one of the entities was called Sachipala Gold. Otherwise, you would have never found that out. So, you know, it wasn't really public, uh, but you could have connected the dots. And then later on, it became public that, you know, they came out because the the legals were progressed enough that they, they thought, it was the legal department thought that it was now material enough to disclose it. Interesting. It is. It is interesting though that for a mining business, they had some uh, restraint on what they would promote because I feel like it's typically the opposite, where you have mining companies uh, overly promoting even when there's nothing there. You know, it's interesting because these guys. I wish they would be more promotional. Actually, it's like I don't know how much of of the promotion actually came from me mm-hmm. because I was writing about this company from 2017 uh, and I still cover this company and I don't know how many people found them because yeah. of me because uh, I don't I don't see much promotion from the company uh, I wish they would do more but they're not they're just not the type of people yeah well maybe they just don't they just don't give a shit and they just feel like, well, as we progress and as our reserves get more confirmed that the market price will take care of itself. I think there's some to it, but, um, they, 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 they do, uh, they do go on, on the road before the okay. COVID, they would go on the road and they would expose it, okay. uh, it to, to their best abilities. But I think that especially when it comes to like, some of this is historical and they can't really say this. They can't really. They're so limited because of the legal department gotcha. on how much they can say. And me, I can say whatever the hell I want. And I'm not tied to the company. They're right. not paying me. I'm just, you know, a shareholder, and I can say whatever I want. And I think it, you know, it had some kind of positive impact on the stock. But you're right. Over time, if the project is there, the the project is good. They resolve the legal issues. Then yes, the the stock is gonna. Uh, adjust properly. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, and then you're you're also involved in uh, you're a shareholder in, in uh, another company, Mitchum Industries, right? Yes. So tell us about that one. Okay, so Mitchum Industries is interesting because 
I've followed the company since 2009. And uh, you see, it, it, was a, it was a company that uh, was leasing seismic equipment to the oil and gas industry. So they had this pool of seismic equipment and seismic equipment is used to uh, for exploration of oil and gas, right? You 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 do a bunch of studies, uh, you you know shake shake up the earth a bit, and you find out where to drill. Uh, so that's how I knew the company as, and and so I made some money from 2009 because everything was cheap in 2009, and then I kind of forgot about it. And one of my friends. Uh, emailed me and said, hey, you should look at it because there's something going on there. So I looked at it and they bought this division, a different division in 2000, I think it was 2014. Okay. And their seismic business over time, they were scaling it down. They were selling off their seismic equipment and they were uh, starting to focus on this new business. And what this new business is, is... Um, a side scan sonars. So right now, what you have around the world is you have the navies around the world. They have their fleets. And over the last few years, all the navies around the world, they want to upgrade their fleets to include what's called UUVs, which are underwater unmanned vehicles. For, for different purposes, for, for mine hunting or whatever. So it's it's kind of like these drones that you go underwater and they're like, you know, remote controlled. They don't have any humans. They have uh, cameras and they have sonars. And sonars are used to uh, uh, to take a picture of the seafloor. Uh, so uh, Mitchum has this division that makes uh, side scan sonars. And in the world of side scan sonars, there are only like three companies yeah. that they that make these. Other than other than maybe some defense manufacturers might have a division that's in house. But outside of that, there's only like three companies that make side sense side scan sonars. And when I was doing scuttlebutt on on on, on Mitchum and the division that they that I'm talking about is called Klein. It's called. Uh, it's called what? Klein. Klein. Okay. Klein Marine Systems. Got it. So you have Klein, Edgetech, and Marine Sonics. These are like the three companies, and uh, Klein and Edgetech are like Mercedes and BMW of the industry. Like they're the top top people. Very good. Uh, you know, very well known. So now you have this situation where the navies around the world are about to go overdrive into ordering these vehicles and it's UUVs and a uh, AUVs which are uh, no a SUVs which are surface surface unmanned vehicles they're about to go crazy with ordering these things over the next five years and here we are sitting this company that has this division that's about to go crazy and nobody is talking about it because they still think of Mitchum Industries as this seismic rental equipment company huh. and no one is paying attention to this transformation that's taking inside insiders are buying shares um so yeah so that's the story behind that and how did you how, how did you uh, come across this one i know you said you you were invested a while back but what had you put the connection together 
it just my friend emailed me yeah. for some reason he was looking at it and it it was it was not written up anywhere nobody nobody was talking about it and actually i started my friend told me i started talking about it and you know the management at this point is not very promotional because um you know, I tell them, hey, you know, do an interview with me. No, 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 we're not going to do it right now because it's so sensitive when it yeah. comes to the Navy or defense contracts. And, and um, you know, they just announced not too long ago uh, a very game-changing news, a partnership with a major European defense contractor to develop a certain product. And they wouldn't even disclose the name of the European contractor huh. because of that sensitivity. So here's a new, new investment strategy. Go find companies where something's going on and some, and some legal thing prevents them from uh, disclosing too much information. <laughs> There's the, right? I mean, if you think about it, right, that's actually what these last two businesses kind of have in common. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, you see, it's, 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 easy to, it's easy to look at 10K, uh, look at the financials, and be like, oh, you know, it's trading at so-and-so. What's harder to do is figure out what the financials are going to be in the future and yep. know it ahead of time. Yeah, and that's what I think is happening here with Mitchum. I can, I don't have to have a perfect picture because, of course, I will never have a perfect picture. Not. But, yeah. but all I'm looking at it. I'm doing my scuttlebutt. I see that insiders are buying a lot of shares. Actually, recently, a new hire, a guy that just got to the company, bought a hundred thousand shares in one day. Uh, it never did this before, and so I know I know something is going on because I've been doing my scuttlebutt, and I was on the phone with you know 50 people, and I know exactly what's going on. So all we need for 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 this thing to, and it already moved up 4x from 70 cents. It's over two dollars, uh, and I, I I wasn't lucky enough to get it at 70, but I was already aware of it at that point. Yeah. I was just stupid enough not to buy it, uh, but. Really, when you look at a company that has a market cap of 30 million, and we're talking about major, major Navy contracts that that are that are coming over the next five years, and it's not just Navy. Na- Navy is it's just the the defense side. It's yeah. also this market is exploding in the commercial side too, uh, and so not, not a lot has to go right. All you really need is just one little contract, and these contracts are not. You know, three million dollar contracts—they're they're sizable. So, not a lot has to go right for this thing to really pay off. It's interesting, huh? Are there any other uh, interesting things that you own that you think are uh, worth talking about? Oh, sure, there are, but I'm not going to talk about okay. them because I just launched Microcap <laughs> Explosions, so tell- which is a, a membership-only website. So for people who are curious about what you're doing there, um, you know, how do people sign up? What's the cost? You know, I know you said a little bit, talked a little bit about that at the beginning, but, you know, give us, give us your, uh, your, your pitch on that. So the way you sign up is you go to microcapexplosions.com. Okay. You watch an introductory video of me talking about it. You open up your wallet, take out the credit card and enter your information and you're in. And, wh- and how much does that cost? It's fifteen hundred dollars per year. Okay, and and what do they get? I mean, I know it's you talking about these microcap companies. Is it is it write ups? Is it videos? How many a year? You know, what what can uh, new members expect? Okay, so um, 
as the name suggests, microcap explosions. It's it's small caps, microcaps, because that's where I think I can get my edge. So the idea is to introduce, and I just started it on Friday. So right now we have uh, three ideas, and, and my goal uh, over the next few months um, this year is to add the build the inventory of ideas. And I introduce an idea in, in, in parts because it's easier to digest it and it's easier for me to, to write it. Um, once I introduce the idea, then uh, there are updates uh, to this idea, regular updates. I also bring on guests uh, to interview them, like it could be major shareholders or any shareholders and, and, um, and the management. Yeah. Because you know, if I were to call the management of um, um, Apple, I wouldn't get the interview. But yeah. when it comes to microcap stock smoke, they are very happy to uh, to do the interview uh, and talk, to, uh, answer my questions. Also, we're getting ready to do like um, a conference, uh, the first conference conference call on the website, where I will invite the CEO of a company and I will invite the members of of the club that can join on the conference call and ask questions oh cool so yeah so it's a combination of uh, my write-ups uh maybe uh written updates or or updates through a video or interviews and things like this also the the site has a forum where members can chat with each other um yeah so that's that's pretty much it well, awesome. Well, you're you're sounds like you're uh, going to be building a nice little community around this, and I I wish you literally I wish you all the best with uh with building that out. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, is there is there anything? You know, I think we've we've covered quite a bit. Is there is there anything else that you feel um, from what we talked about that just I should have asked a certain question for you or we didn't cover that you just like to you know talk about real quick or you think we've you know. For, for the basis of this of this conversation, we kind of covered everything. I think we covered everything. All right, cool. Well, it was really a pleasure to to have you on. It's it's really nice to talk to you. I, you know, I really have been a fan of uh, you know your videos and and stuff you've been posting for a little while now. So it's 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 nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well. Anyway, I hope you have a uh, great rest of your week, and uh, yeah, wish you the best with everything. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.